Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at BYU's International Cinema. We are now in week seven of the IC Winter 2021 podcast, and this is part two of a special podcast on women's voices in six films playing at IC this semester. Our guests today will focus their remarks on the th three films that we have remaining on our list. And my name is Marilla Oscarson. I'm assistant director of International Cinema. I'm happy to welcome Heather Belknap with us. Welcome, Heather. Hi. Great to be here. Professor of Heart History and Coordinator of European Studies at Brigham Young University, her research focuses on women in post-revolutionary French art, fashion and culture, religion and art in the modern era, transatlantic culture and Mormonism around the 1900s, and Mormon women history. Today, Heather will talk about the modern adaptation of Antigone, a film that comes from Quebec. A warm welcome to our second guest, Julie Lefgren. Welcome, Julie. Hello, thank you. Julie, you're the BYU Chinese Club Advisor. You teach Chinese language and literature classes at BYU, and you received your master's from the University of Oregon in Chinese language and literature. Julie will talk to us about the Chinese documentary playing at IC very soon called Leftover Women. My third guest today is Professor Rebecca Deschweinist. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Her academic interest focused on youth and 20th century politics, history and childhood and youth, African-American history, Mormon history, and U.S. women's history. Today, Rebecca will talk to us about the 1950 film All About Eve. So these three films that we are going to discuss today, Antigone, Leftover Women, and All About Eve, They each have something to do with women's place in society or in family, the precarity of immigration or place in society vis-a-vis -vis mariage expectations or aging, as in All About Eve. Antigone, the gender here is, is intersecting with growing up in the world where rights are not given. In Leftover Women, The beauty in education and age matter in order to be eligible for marriage and what happens when education is more important than, than these, these other things. In All About Eve, experience, talent, and personality win over the superficial power of beauty. Starting our remarks with Heather and uh, the film Antigone, a 2019 film from Quebec by Sophie Dehasp who wrote the adaptation, directed the film, shot the film, and edited the film. I mean, she has a, a real, real hand in this film. It won the Toronto International Film Festival Award for Best Canadian Film, and it received other awards in 2020. What are some of the things that we should note in this film about a gender identity or the place of women in this film? What, what are your thoughts on, on this film, Heather, as you watched it? Yeah, I, I just watched it last night, and as with all good films, it, it keeps coming back to me, certain connections or you know things that I want to think about or even go back and rewatch. The intersections of gender with so many issues that are confronting us today are brought into the film. So refugees, race relations, police brutality, the need for criminal justice reform, youth movements. I mean, there's just, there's so much in this film. Then as you point out, kind of shot through the protagonist being a young woman, Antigone, 
and and her trying to navigate these very complex personal realities and social realities and uh, navigate the questions of belonging of of this placelessness that she seems to feel as a refugee coming from North Africa into Canada. I think I think it takes place in Montreal. And then this question of allegiance, you know, where, where do her allegiances lie? Is it with her family? Is it with herself and her own identity that is developing? You know, what's her place within within the community and what's her allegiance to her Canadian roots that she's been putting down and and those in Algeria. So it's a film that just is so relevant. And I think that our BYU audiences are, are going to find it a compelling watch. Absolutely. Something interesting to note is that Sophocles' tragedy written more than 2,000 years ago is still relevant today and portraying a young girl who is so courageous and, and has the power to act with justice to preserve her family's dignity, her loyalty to her loved one, and as such, she acts against what society has defined as right. So a very powerful message that lasts through centuries. Right. I mean, because it's it's a modern-day ad- adaptation of Antigone, and it, it is a tragedy by Sophocles, you know that the film is going to be a difficult one as you see the protagonist facing impossible choices, it seems. And I can't praise Nahime Ricci. That's the actor who plays Antigone enough. I mean, it is an extraordinary performance by her and one that is kind of reminiscent of other great moments in film, like the passion of Joan of Arc comes to mind and, and others. You just can't take your eyes off her. And she's just so, so compelling. Absolutely. She captures the screen in, uh, we, this is an actress to to follow. Right. And um, a, a great future for this young actress. It, I think it's her first feature film. And the director worked with her at great length. Mm. But her, her work paid off. The acting in this film is phenomenal. Yeah, agreed. I would just say, especially for those who are interested in looking at it from the perspective of gender. I mean, it's directed by a woman. The protagonist is a young woman and it hones in on women's roles in the family, in society, in really poignant and meaningful ways. And so I think, you know, audiences who are watching this as part of Women's History Month, who are attuned to the the ways that women are navigating some of these situations and perspectives will find it very rewarding. Heather, I'm really interested in this film through this main young female character is exploring ideas about placelessness and allegiances. And, you know, I haven't seen the film yet, but I'm interested in hearing you maybe share some thoughts you had about maybe the significance of of a character like that, a young female taking up those big themes and why that might be especially fitting. Yeah, it's, it's uh, as you watch her make so many sacrifices for her brothers and, you know, the selflessness that compels her and especially if you're acquainted with 
the story, the plot line, you know that it's going to, there's going to be tragedy there. And there are various moments in the plot where you can see she could have pivoted and, and made it a, a different choice. And, and you, you want her to do that in order to avoid, you know, the, the tragedy in, in the end. And it's a, a coming of age story that I think is also maybe a cautionary tale that audiences can see it in, in that fashion to say, think about your identity, your positionality and, and your place not always in relation to others, but also to self. And in many ways, I think Antigone is about women sacrificing their own needs for others. And this film does a very good job, I think, of pausing and giving the audience some time to digest what's happening as far as that goes. Sounds great. It is. It is. Like I said, I'm still, I'm still chewing on it quite a bit. And the energy of the film as well. When, when the young people are on the screen, it's bursting with colors and there's a message there about the power of the choices that this upcoming generation is, is making. Right. And, and, and it uses music and social media and, activism and, you know, the, just this youth culture of, of engaging in social justice. And of course, the youth function as the chorus, right, for Antigone. And it's, it's energizing. So even though there are so many tragic dimensions to this, there are elements that give a lot of hope, a lot of direction, I guess, for for those who are not Antigone and who are not confronting those particular issues to still feel that they can relate, I guess. That sounds fantastic. And I love the idea of youth as the chorus. And and I feel like that's so fitting for what's happening today with so many issues, right? Young people acting as the chorus, trying to give us a sense of where we are and need to be and imagining kind of a different way forward. Yeah, definitely. And it will be streaming at IC beginning of March. So usually our podcast, we feature films that are streaming that week. But because it's Global Women's Studies and we wanted to view more films for our students and our audience, then this this is beginning of March. Well, thank you very much. Our documentary is Leftover Women. Here we see the situation in, in China with these women who are considered to be too old to wed or too educated. It shows inequality and sexism as a result of the one-child policy and sex-selective abortions as well. In China right now, and Julie, please, uh, you're, you're going to tell us more about the situation, but my sources indicate that there is like 30 million more men than women, and the government is pressuring these women into marrying early. There's an urgency. And leftover women is this derogatory term for women who are over 25, are not married. What are some of the things that really stood out to you, Julie, as you watched this documentary? Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I know it's not on my bio at, at BYU, but actually my my uh, academic training is in Chinese film and feminist studies. So this is exciting to discuss this, this topic. Um, 
Yeah. So first of all, I feel like I often, as a Chinese studies person and academia and Chinese teacher, often have to give a little historical context and also cultural context, especially to those of us in the West who perhaps don't know as much about China. And so as I watch this film, I come with, with that perspective to the film and I found it so interesting. So a couple of things. First of all, I wanted to address, Marla, what you just said about leftover women. So actually the Chinese word is sheng, sheng nu, and sheng means to, to be a residue. For instance, something that is left over and is no longer wanted. And it's not necessarily that the uh, Chinese government is pressure. Well, the Chinese government is, there is a, a governmental pressure for these women to, to be married, to, you know, create families, etc. But this is an old term, actually, and it comes from a long thousands of years of history about the notion of women's role and also the belief system around family and gender roles. And so this term, as is noted, is actually a derogatory term. And interestingly, as women, again, approach age 25 and up, they start to have this large cultural pressure, familial, family, et cetera, to, to get married and have children because in traditional Chinese culture, and clearly still, the idea of ultimate happiness is to be married and have children. And so I found it so interesting because, frankly, it might be one of the first times in Chinese history where women have choice of marriage, more choice of marriage, rather, because as you may or may not know, Chinese history has typically uh, relied on matchmaking, matchmakers to create marital and family relations. As in many ancient cultures, marriage is an institution of alliances and economics. And so for the first time, really, in Chinese history, we're seeing the opportunity women have to have education choices, as well as economic choices and also marital choices. And so we see these pressures on these women ages, I think, what were their ages at the time of the film? It was made anywhere from 28 to 36 how they're trying to navigate these spaces of expectations or opportunities that have been given to them, for instance, education and upward mobility, economic mobility, as well as trying to figure out what they themselves want for their own future in terms of marriage and children, and then also trying to negotiate that with their parents and grandparents. And there is a lot of negotiation. There's a lot yeah. of disappointment and there's a lot of tears. It is heartbreaking. Yeah, with that, Mary Laura, I was actually really struck by the honesty of the film, the emotional honesty of the film, because in Chinese culture, it is not necessarily, they don't do a lot of emotional displays. It's not considered proper, if you will. And this film actually shows some very honest exchanges, with, especially within a family context, and I was, frankly, a little surprised that they allowed the cameras to film that. It's, it's extremely compelling. And I thought the, the filmmakers did an amazing job of capturing these ex intimate negotiations, if you will, cultural intersections and, and difficulties these women were facing and really capturing the moment, the women themselves and the emotion they show is quite striking. Definitely. What would you say they want for themselves? And, and how does this desire for uh, their own ability to choose, and we're coming back to a theme that we've seen as well in Antigone, how does that play out in this documentary? 
Well, I think it's multi-layered. You know, in Chinese culture, it's a collective culture. So that means that you belong to a group and anything you do is not about you. It's about the group. It's a new development, honestly, I would say in the last, honestly, 15 years to actually want something for yourself. And so you'll see this in the film where the women want something for themselves. They they were given an education usually by the support and sacrifice of their families. They wanted education. It's a way to not only have upward mobility, but also bring honor to your family. Uh, they seem to want and enjoy their careers. Some do or don't want to get married. That that plays out in a variety of ways. And they also very much want to please their family and, and give their family face. And again, if you know anything about Chinese cultures, giving and saving face is extremely important. And that is centered around how you are as a person and how you give or receive face to your, to your community, specifically your, your family. So what they want is complicated. It is complicated. I've noticed that this is a co-production by Israeli companies and as well that we have help from Germany from this for this film as well. Do you think that an all-produced, uh, made Chinese film w- would have been so honest, I guess, is the word? What do you think? You know, I just knowing, so this was filmed in the PRC, the People's Republic of China, what we typically know as mainland China, which is communist China. And so I... I don't know. Let's go back to saving face. So often Chinese made films have this in the background of how they are going to present China to the world. And so the the idea of face plays into those decisions. So and then also we know communist China censors a lot. And so I wonder if if this had been made by Chinese directors, producers, etc., they most likely would have been more subject to censorship. And just my experience with that, not me being personally censored, but just observing and studying it, I don't believe we would have gotten the honesty in emotional display. And even commentary sometimes along the way that was made to the women makes the Chinese look insensitive, if you will. They aren't necessarily being such from a Chinese government perspective, you may say it might look, make them look badly. And so mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, we did get a little bit more of an insight and honesty with a, a foreign produced and directed and filmed production. Thank you. Very interesting. Anything else, uh, Julie, that you would like to add about this documentary? There's so many things here. Oh, I would love yes. to have like a whole like three hour discussion on it because I found it so <laughs> interesting. But, you know, I just the one thing that came to me as an overriding theme is we have these three women who are at this confluence in history that is really new, meaning that the the idea of what it means to be a woman in China, to be Chinese, to be educated, to have this tension between old traditional ideas new and modern opportunities, and then have this overriding, you know, communist government thing going on. They're really in a complicated space. And I felt like the film showed that. I do want to say in reference to the the surplus of men in China right now, that is a result of a government policy, one child policy, because Chinese cultures values male over female, this generation has experienced a great deal of female infanticide and also baby girls being given up at birth. And so that's why they have a surplus of men. And it creates this other area in which it's created or even pushed or there's been an organic feminist movement happen. 
meaning that because um, the women, how do I say this? Because the women have more choice in marriage, meaning that they can have the opportunity now to choose uh, multiple men partners, the women are actually, in a, interestingly, in a very powerful place, uh, more so than they've ever had been before. And so to see how this is playing out in this film was really fascinating because while they are in a more powerful position because they have more choice, they're also being pressed down by many factors in their lives. And so it's... It was an incredibly compelling film. Great. Well, thank you very much, Julie. Definitely something for our students to look forward to watching. Very, very interesting. Moving on to our last film, All About Eve, and grappling this, this theme of saving face and powerful. That is a film about woman power, I would say, definitely. It is so well written. It is witty. The acting is amazing. A film that I really enjoyed from 1950. What are some of the things that jumped out to you, Rebecca, as you watched it? So I think since you started out with talking about the great acting, this film co-stars Betty Davis, who is at a point in her career, not unlike her character, Margot, that she plays in the film. And, you know, she's an actress known for her intensity of expression. And and that really comes well into the character that she portrays in this film. And I understand that the character was even rewritten a bit, you know, after she ended up being the one to take that role. And then there's a younger Anne Baxter who, who plays Eve, And she's not altogether new to the film industry, but this is really kind of her coming out and defining role. And she has a much more restrained style that fits with this character that she plays as well. I can't help but think, you know, it's really rich parts, three serious female roles that are the center of the film. And all of the great, you know, witty lines are are said by women and it shows complicated character development, but I can't help but not completely trust. So, so the filmmaker, both the director and the screenwriter is Joseph uh, Mankiewicz, who won an, two Oscars for this film and, and others for other films. But given kind of his personal life, it makes me not completely trust from the outset, you know, what I'm going to see on the screen. So he's from a film family. His brother was a screenwriter for Citizen Kane, and they had something of a kind of contentious relationship where they're often rivals. And I see that reflected in the female characters here in this film. But he's a he's a man who has a series of affairs. He's you know famous for his extramarital affairs with actresses, and we also know that his second wife was herself a promising actress. But but he insisted that she basically abandon her career and become a housewife. This does not turn out well for her. She takes up drinking and and commits suicide in 1958. So kind of with that background, I think it should maybe cause us to reflect a little bit on some of the complexities in this film. So, you know, can I trust him? Women have the prime roles in this film, but are they actually more than roles or are there more cautionary tales through this film? 
Great observation. Yes. The film starts with this narration by the writer, theater critic in the film, Addison DeWitt. And so it feels like the point of view is from this narration. It's it's a sound that's not diegetic. And so it feels like we are observing with the eye of this writer, theater critic. And it's the man who is here to judge and criticize these actresses. So your point is is very well taken here. Yeah. And I think that starting off that it and, and the film is framed in terms of flashbacks and we see kind of the women themselves, you know, trying to determine the outcome, trying to impose kind of their wants and wishes. And they're sometimes getting what they want or think they want and sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but there seems to be an element where, where men are sculpting the paths that women are actually able to take. And so I think it raises questions about are the choices that these women make for themselves or not? What do women want? What do they get? And at what cost? I think this film asks really important questions about that. Definitely. And it shows that the actresses, they are surrounded by the director and the writer and the wife of the writer. And so it's it's definitely an influence there that is not just the actress, but as well, it's the surroundings um, of the making of the actress. Yeah. And I'm really struck, though, you know, all of this, all of these men trying to kind of direct their lives, both as actresses and as women. But still, these women are really trying to create their lives in the world on their own terms. Uh, So they're struggling with the constraints that they face as women, as female actresses. And, you know, what happens when these women are trying to realize their desires and what obstacles do they face? Very good. So I'm also thinking about this film in the context of 1950s women in America. And and this is a period that my students in U.S. women's history always feel let down by because they're coming out of thinking about World War II and all of the kind of amazing advances that women have in kind of determining their own lives and in breaking down some traditional barriers. And then they come in the 1950s and there's kind of this post-war concepts of womanhood are really deeply conservative and any attempts and kind of stepping beyond gender norms is, is thought of as dangerous right? Um, This kind of Cold War context, any deviation from post-war domesticity has the threat of political and not just gender deviance. So there's a lot of kind of big obstacles, ideological constraints and institutional constraints that women in this period are facing. And, And we see these female characters kind of up against these constraints but they're not just kind of going along with it. They're, they're pushing back and they're trying to actively construct their own identities in different ways. And they're ambitious and they're, and they're powerful. You know, both Ann Baxter and Betty Davis kind of in their own ways, even though we might not realize it, that one of these characters 
kind of steps outside the traditional notions of what women are supposed to be and act like. And she's very forceful and professionally successful and is clearly discontent and is, you know, expressing her herself. And she gets criticized for that, right? She gets told that, you know, she needs to not be discontent and that that this is unattractive and and that she needs to um, kind of behave better, right? And then uh, another character who, on the surface at least, you know, seems to perform femininity perfectly and seems so young and helpless, we're we're left realizing, you know, maybe she isn't as helpless as we assume her to be, but that that this is this kind of performance of femininity, she's using that in order to try to get what her desires are. Sounds great. That was fantastic. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll say to, con- to connect some of the films a little bit, just like Heather, you know, saw a little bit of a cautionary tale in Antigone. Uh, this one too has a cautionary tale, but in many ways it's kind of the exact opposite that there's definitely a warning to young girls about, you know, what being an ambitious woman means and what it will get you and some of the dangers involved with that. So, so while Antigone suggests that maybe we need to think beyond ourselves, All About Eve suggests that maybe thinking about yourself and your own ambitions will come back to bite you in the end. But as you said, Rebecca, I think very uh, importantly, written, directed by by a man. This is the yep. message that a man wants us to get from All About Eve. <laughs> Yeah, so so I think, you know, you know, I'm going to push back against what Mankiewicz wants us to get out of this film and really celebrate the ways that these characters, despite the constraints that they're facing, that they're pushing back against mm-hmm. the gender ideals of the period. And they are ambitious and they do have their own wants and desires. So can I add to that? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, Rebecca, I like that the, you you summarized the, the two films that you and Heather watched, Cautionary Tales. And actually, in our documentary with Leftover Women, it's not a tale. It's an actually happening. <laughs> it's really interesting because this women in China, they've, let's see, two of them are only children. And then the other woman is grown up in a family of s- sisters. And there's many moments in the film where the parents where the children push back on their parents and say, you know, maybe I don't want to get married or why are you giving me all this stress? And the parents point out to them that they sacrificed everything so their children, these girls could have an education and a career. And yet this education and career is one of the reasons why they're not desirable in some ways. And so it's really fascinating that, you know, what does it mean to be a woman really? And we see this play out. It seems like we're seeing this play out in all of these films in different contexts. Yeah, All About Eve definitely has these, you know, this similar tension between not education this pl- in this uh, film, but professional success, you know, up against romantic happiness. And, you know, are those compatible? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and in, in my film, the protagonist is a star pupil who's just received, you know, this terrific award, has this extremely bright future, is falling in love. 
and will end up sacrificing those things for her family and for for following her heart. And in fact, that becomes the rallying cry in the film is my, my heart told me what to do, the decisions to make. And you can't help but both admire that and rue the fact that she's following her heart because she she will you know sacrifice professional and romantic personally fulfilling kinds of of activities for uh, what she perceives is the right thing to do for her family well, thank you very much. On these wise words, we will end our podcast. I am so grateful to each one of you to have joined us today. Thank you. This was really yeah, fun. Yeah, it was. Our podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU, and it's supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here, as we do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank our producer, Dewey Walter, our sound engineer, Marina Ekstrom-Pratt, Johnny Stallings for the great music that he composed and all the musicians involved in making our jingle possible the BYU Humanities Resource Center for their help and support. Until next week, keep streaming.